May I invite you now to grab a Bible, which I hope you brought, and um, you can find the book of James real fast, and we'll get there in a minute. But just three quick things that I need to say. First has to do with the election of elders here at Grace of Anne. You know that on November the 29th, uh, we'll have a congregational meeting, uh, and from on that, that night, you will select five men from the list of names that you see in front of you, Gary Bynum, Blake Dickens, Trent Fleming, Gary Gleason, Alan Greer, Mike Heath, Dave Hogue, Chris Myatt, Andy Pierce, Rick San Roman, David Shea, Pat Scholes, David Strand, and Greg Strong. They are, there's 14 of them, and you will select five on that night. So I hope you'll set aside that night uh, to come and vote. It is one of the responsibilities of uh, the congregation uh, to elect its own elders. So that's the 29th, 6.30 p.m. Hope you'll be there. Now, uh, one other thing, I, or two other things I want to say, um, men... This breakfast that we're having Saturday morning, um, the breakfast is always superb, um, way more um, food than we need. But the man that's going to speak that uh, morning is a man that I want you to get to know. Uh, He's been a member of this church for years. He came to know Christ, I don't know, 15 years ago or so. Um, And is now the county, I have to be careful about what I say because I don't want to tell you who to vote for, but I want you to know that there is a man in our congregation who is running for the office of county mayor. Uh, David Lenore, he is right now the, um, the, the Shelby County trustee. Uh, when you write your tax payments for Shelby County taxes, you put, your na- put his name on your check. Um, so he is going to speak, gentlemen, uh, on Saturday morning, and I want you to come see what I see. Uh, and not only a Christian brother, but a man. A man who I, I think would um, do a marvelous job as the county mayor. So come Saturday morning and meet David and eat breakfast with us. Now, finally, yesterday was a big day. It was a big day all over the country, and um, if I heard it once said yesterday, I, I, it almost nauseated me that that veterans have made all these sacrifices so that we can play this wonderful game of football. They didn't make those sacrifices so that we could play football. I guess that's one of the freedoms that we have because, but um, they are far more than the freedom to play football. Uh, they're, to, they're the things that we so value and cherish as Americans. But they, they came at a price, ladies and gentlemen, sacrifices. You know, the difference between, I think I'm right about this, is Memorial Day and Veterans Day. Memorial Day is is remembering those who lost their lives in conflict. Veterans Day is to remember those who served. And there's several in this church, there are several that are serving now. Do you know that in your congregation, there is a family that has a seal, a Navy seal, in their, as one of their sons? And do you know that he is in, one, at this very minute, is one of the, in one of the most dangerous spots in the world. I mean, he's not simply in harm's way. I mean, it's worse than that. They're there so that we can do this. So I, I hope, uh, you know, just shaking a veteran's hands in the airport, that's a nice thing to do. But the appreciation and the gratitude should go deeper than that even. And I hope that you'll um, keep that in mind. Now, let me read you my text. It comes from James chapter 3. 
after I finish it, you're going to wish I didn't read it. In fact, um, I'm not sure that all of you know that this is even in this book. But this is, um, this is not exactly what you would call um, on a list of favorite texts uh, that are included in the Bible. So you follow as I read, beginning at chapter 3, verse 1. I'll, I'm not going to read the whole passage. It's just, it's overload. I'll read you just the first six verses. And they read like this. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell the grass withers and the flower fades but the word of our God including this word it endures forever I told you I bet you wish I wouldn't read this (laughs) guys did you notice as I read it all of those metaphors that are included in here there's lots of them that I didn't read in verses 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 uh, the metaphors you uh, included about the use and the misuse of the tongue. There's the bit that you put in a horse's mouth. There's a rudder on a ship. There's a fire mentioned, a spark mentioned. And the principle of all that is very simply that small things cause great results. That is, small things control large objects. A little rudder controls the entire direction of, um, of a whole ship. James um, goes on from there and even suggests that um, the usage of the tongue is a, is a test case as to our Christian maturity because, as you know, our words reflect character. He even suggests Uh, In verse 2, where he says, if you can control that, you're a perfect man. He's saying that perfection can be attained if we could only control this small thing. It's interesting, at least to me, about 400 years later, Augustine did the same kind of thing. Uh, He wasn't writing scripture, but he was saying there's another test case um, that is indicative of our spiritual maturity. And it had to do with our sexuality, our sexual 
sins. But either, in either case, I think you'd agree that both of those things are grand illustrations of just how fallen we are. And the one thing that I hope, um, as I read this, as I read this, that the realization of just how much we misuse our tongues would, would drive us to the remedy for our sin. There's only one remedy, and that remedy, of course, is Christ Jesus. Um, but, I, but again, I, I'm sure you'd agree that both our sexual misconduct and the usage of our, tongue, our tongues are, um, are used as proof of our fallenness. James seems to suggest even that um, this is in verses 7 and 8 that I didn't read, that there was a, a point at which the tongue was used for good. Back in the garden, remember that? Um, Genesis chapter 2 where James name, excuse me, Adam names all the animals. But then James goes on to say that all the beasts were named and whatever they were called, that was their name. You know, a cow is a cow because... Adam saw that it was a cow. It had cowness to it. So he named it a cow. Well, that, 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 wonder, that marvelous use of the tongue. And then he goes on to say, but there's also a beast in our own mouths. We named the beast, but we have a beast in our mouths. And this is where everything got so interesting to me as I studied this text. Because there's so many uh, illustrations and examples in here of the dual usage of the tongue. That we use it for good, and we also use it for bad. I, I guess the most glaring illustration of just the corruption of our, of our tongues is that we can use them at the same time, and James points this out, we can use them to curse men, and we can also use them to bless God. Um, he says in verse 11 and 12 that it's a fountain of sweet water, but it's also the fountain of bitter water. It can be used for great good, and it can be used for horror. And, and I would point out that James is not the only one that makes this point about the dual usage of the tongue. Uh, read the book of Proverbs. It's all through the book of Proverbs. There's a statement, I think it's in chapter 18, where it says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. You can use it for life, <laughs> or you can use it for death. Because it can be used dually for different things, for good and for bad. So I think you'd all agree that taming the tongue is, um, is a goal that we should all have in terms of developing as Christians. But how? How do we tame the tongue? Well, guys, part of the Bible's answer has to do with this, this dual usage of the tongue thing that I've been trying to point out. Because here's another example of its dual use. We also use the tongue to talk. But we also use the tongue 
to taste. And you know, the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, guys, Jesus also points this out in Matthew 12. He talks about um, out of the mouth comes uh, all that corruption and it's tied to the heart. So you see, if we're ever going to do any taming, it's not the tongue that we need to tame. It's the heart. We get to the tongue through the heart. So how do we change the heart? Through tasting and seeing. It's a, it's a, there's a sense in which that we change our hearts by monitoring the tastes that we allow into it. The heart has to find some kind of beauty to latch on to. The heart has to find that which is beautiful. And when it does, it changes what comes flowing out of the mouth. And I am suggesting to you, my brother and sister in Christ, that the ultimate beauty is displayed for you right on this table. Do you know what this is? It's a reminder that there is available to us who are guilty undeserved forgiveness. That's beautiful. There is beauty in the reflection upon being forgiven when I don't deserve to be forgiven. Um, how about this word? Reconciled. There's something beautiful in that word. Remember when I, we were talking about the Reformation in, uh, in back in October, and, and the, the big question was, how can a man be right with God? I know through this, through that which is symbolized by this. Ladies and gentlemen, I am inviting you not to come and taste bread. I'm inviting you to come taste of something which reminds us of life's supreme beauty. Undeserved forgiveness. If you are a Christian, you are forgiven. And you know what? You don't deserve it. But it's because of this. And the more we taste this, the more the heart shifts even affecting the tongue. Come taste and see that the Lord, he is good. 
Our Father, I, I do pray that your people might see once again the, the overwhelming beauty of what is being symbolized in this sacrament. This, um, this, these common elements being used for such a profound purpose that we as guilty men and women can be forgiven because of what's been accomplished by Christ as represented in this sacrament. So meet us here. Might your people find the great joy, the great beauty of Christ and him crucified. And we ask it, of course, in his name.